On today's pod, we begin to tackle the enormously important and ever more relevant topic of mental health once again. Alongside two of their peers, Marina and Valeria get into an honest conversation about grappling with mental health struggles alongside school, how to approach someone you suspect may need help, stigma around academic accommodations, and some self-care strategies that have proven useful. We have again included mental health resources, counseling services to helplines and apps. We encourage you all to reach out to someone you feel safe with if you are struggling and always remember you are not alone. So please lean in and enjoy this conversation Marina and Valeria had with Anna and Anya. Hi everyone, my name's Marina and my co-host here is Valeria. Today we're going to talk about mental health. Mental health is a very significant topic and we wanted to have a candid conversation about it and we'll probably have many more going forward. We're given permission to share our struggles and open the conversation up once a year on Bell Let's Talk Day, but normalizing mental health conversations aid in breaking the stigma. Mental health is someone everyone has and it can be bad or good sometimes. We may also struggle with mental illness, and those with mental illness can find themselves on the spectrum of good and bad mental health as well. Especially during this unprecedented time, full of uncertainty and isolation, people might be struggling with their mental health. And you may be feeling anxious or alone about the uncertain future of the world. And it's very easy to feel alone when you're struggling. But our hope is that through this conversation, we can help even one person feel that they have people with them who also understand them. Especially being in such high pressure programs within science, it's imperative that we prioritize taking care of ourselves, which allows us to not only live our lives more fully, but to be more kind to others because we are being kind to ourselves. So I want to just start off uh, by introducing everybody. So first off, if you don't know me, my name is Valeria. We've done a pod on here, I think, two times before, and I'm in third-year biomed. Anya, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Anya. I'm a chemical biology student at McMaster, and this is my first time on. Lovely. Okay. And Anna. So yeah, hi, I'm Anna, and I'm starting my master's at Ryerson for environmental applied science. Okay, perfect. So first off, very broad question, but is there anything specific that you have struggled with throughout your undergraduate degree or currently? It doesn't have to be specific, just anything that may have gotten in the way of your schooling or in the way of you living your life. We can start with Anya. I think like the first thing that really comes to mind is just like balance. It's like balancing buying groceries, getting enough sleep, like spending time with friends going out because you can go out and that's not something to be like ashamed of (laughs) and then like also studying and then doing schoolwork and going to lectures and just doing them all at the same time kind of like in a healthy way is it's been very hard and I'm still working on it because I'm not very good at it (laughs) I think with everything it's a work in progress right uh Anna did you have anything to add to that yeah I mean I guess I would just say that you know, your life is not just university and that, like Anya was saying, how you have to create a balance and that there's more to you as a person than just um, university. And so sometimes things happen that can disrupt your mental health, I guess I put it that way. And 
you know, it's, it's trying to figure out how to still go through university and educate yourself while also dealing with those kind of issues can be a huge a struggle for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people can definitely relate to that, especially the finding balance, because I find that it's very normalized within our programs to just be like, hey, I got two hours of sleep last night because I was cramming for this midterm or, oh, I'm falling apart. <laughs> like, Or like studying to an extent that everything else, like people will compare how many hours they've studied for something and it's like, you always feel like you haven't done enough, but if like cuts into the time you have to do literally everything else in your life, which still is very important for your development as a human being to have a social life and do the spend time with your family, do the things you do outside of school and possibly even your hobbies, which you hopefully haven't neglected. But yeah, like we just put pressure on each other too, I find to push ourselves to the limit with regards to school. So on that note, I'm kind of wondering like what you have found to be useful coping mechanisms like throughout this process. And I'd like to start with Anya on that one. Like if you set aside a night, right? Like my friends and I, we set aside Sunday nights and we're gonna cook dinner together. And then like Friday nights, we're gonna like sit down together and like play a game. And then being flexible with that. So just being like, oh, we, these are our goals, like to go to the gym twice a week, to like spend time together at these times and then saying, well, you know what? I can't do it tonight. Like, let's just do it tomorrow. And then doing that tomorrow, but like holding each other to it. Um, I think that helps just like making that schedule. Something that I learned in, when I first walked into first year, I had like this lecture from psychology prof. And she said like, when she went into second year, she flopped, she did so badly. And then she went into her third year and she changed everything the way she did. So she worked, treated school like a nine to five job. So she'd get to campus at nine, leave at five, and then like do all her work in between that. And then as soon as five hit, she would just go home and like do what she wanted. And that's kind of like my end goal. Like I want to be able to get to that point where it's like my nine to five job. And then at five, I'm off. Yeah, I find it's, it's, that's something too with like, if school's always on your mind too, because you're stressing about something or you're thinking about a problem or how you're going to get something done. Whereas if you know that you can hold yourself accountable to like slot in certain hours of the day and you find that sort of routine with it, that way you can kind of let go of it when you're not engaging with it. And I also like the idea of scheduling and like prioritizing, making time for things that you know are good for you, like spending time with your friends or um, self-care like exercise and like holding yourself and having other people hold you accountable to that just as you would with like studying and like making that just as important on your on your list of like, this needs to get done this day as well. Yeah, it's all about like priority setting, right? Because like you, your school should not, schooling should not be on a higher priority than like getting sleep, being hydrated, being physically active, being mentally healthy like it shouldn't be above all of that you shouldn't have to sacrifice everything around you to get a better mark a lot of times you don't end up getting a better mark yeah because your schooling will suffer if your mental and physical health suffer so it's like keeping like you can't pour out of an empty cup and I think people figure that out after they after they have a little burnout experience um (laughs) that's usually how the learning experience that was me last year man I I just um so I really had to get out of that. And the way that I realized that was by 
overwhelming myself so intensely and then kind of like breaking down from it and then building myself right back up. And where I am now is a beautiful place in my life, but it took hitting that breaking point to make me realize how important it was to take care of myself and to spend that energy on myself. Yeah, on that note, I'd like, I'd like to ask um, Anna what have like, which coping mechanisms have proven useful for you? Yeah, so I definitely believe in all the things that were mentioned, like, you know, getting physical exercise, not for weight or anything, but just to make yourself feel better and, mental you know, <laughs> staying hydrated. Yeah, mental health, staying hydrated, eating just foods that give you enough, like, vitamins and nutrients for your day. I do believe in all those things, but I also believe that sometimes it's like so much easier said than done. Like I hate when I was like kind of at my worst, like I hate if someone said, oh, just eat healthy and exercise, I'd probably walk away from you. Like I would not listen to a word that came out of your mouth. And I agree, like it is not, you know, so easy to just do. But I do think that throughout your life, whether it's university or otherwise, like you are not meant to do anything in your life completely on your own. Like reaching out for help, whether it's official therapy or if it's just like talking to a friend or something of being collaborative and like figuring out your next steps, I think are just so vital. Like I know so many people have this mentality of like therapy or just even like less official therapy is kind of, oh, you know, like I can do this on my own. Like there's a stigma around that whole thing to begin with, but having an extra opinion on your life and no matter what form that is, I think is really beneficial to you. And it might help you like reach these healthy habits that help your mental health in a way that doesn't necessarily mean you have to hit rock bottom before you develop those healthy habits. Yeah, I think um, a lot of the work that goes into mental health is mental um, in the sense that there's a lot of like negative thinking patterns and perspectives and ways that we've beliefs that we've built up throughout our lives that may not be helping us in terms of how we view things and like standards we might hold ourselves to that are too high or negative self-talk. And I think when you talk to other people, they can help you like view things from a different perspective, maybe break out of those sort of thinking patterns and is there a way that they that people have reached out to you in the past that has been more helpful than other methods of reaching out? I don't know if there's been like a specific method. Like I do have like as a little anecdote, like I had a professor who was just like you could tell he was he's also dealt with mental health issues in his life. And I was just in his office one day for, you know, answering helping me with some questions for an assignment and he just, he says to me, he's like, you look different than last year. You know, like he could just tell there was like something off about me. And it was just having someone like notice that it was like so sad in a way, but it was also like so heartwarming that like someone took the time to even ask me that I was okay. Like my point is, is I don't think there's like a end all be all one universal answer to like how to reach out to someone Mm -hmm. if you think that they're, or, you know, how to check on someone because we're all so different from each other that sometimes if you reach out to someone too directly it might scare them off from asking for help it might also for someone else might be all they needed to then go and seek out the help that they need right so i wish there was like some universal answer that anyone listening could think like oh maybe i should reach out to this person in this way but i think it really just comes down to like 
you know that person that you think you might need to reach out to them and like evaluate how you know them as a their personality and like what would be best to I heard this expression once but it's almost like someone who needs to reach out to help for help but doesn't know how to you have to approach them like a baby deer <laughs> like you can't yeah. freak them out you can't overwhelm them because you'll they'll never you know they'll run away and like that's yeah. it so I love that answer yeah, I love that answer thank you <laughs> especially how you're because it's true not it's not one size fits all I think if there is a common theme at all, it's that you need to approach it with compassion and with sympathy towards that person and maybe not to be accusatory because I know me and Marina have talked about this before, but for somebody that has to deal with diagnosable mental illnesses, it is a physiological thing that affects your brain. It's not a simple issue just as a lack of motivation, but it's a lack of certain neurotransmitters in your brain right and I'm sorry I'm going off topic right now but I think being compassionate towards somebody and to what they're experiencing and then knowing that you need to be sensitive towards it is very important yeah and I I agree yeah yeah. I would the only thing I'd preface that with saying is um it wouldn't I wouldn't even just say that mental illness is a physiological issue but even if you're dealing with like you've been sad for the last few days, like, Mm -hmm. quote, sad, like, you're still dealing with, like, a change in your neurotransmitter levels, so, like, it's not just, like, oh, I need to be diagnosed with mental illness to, like, have this physiological issue, like, your entire life is physiological, you know? Exactly, like, stress, like, when people are more stressed, more cortisol circulating in their blood, and that leads to, like, worsening of any sort of health condition, make lower your immune system, and that's why also I preface this conversation with mental health versus mental illness, where everyone has mental health, and everyone can have bad mental health, um, and have periods of bad mental health, and that can, that is also very physical too, right, and can reflect that way, um, so it's just, it's, it's a topic that's relevant for everyone, and, like, there, there might be differences in terms of like, if you've never experienced a mental illness, but you can relate to certain mental health experiences, but to not try to, I've had people try to fit their experience on top of mine to try and compare like, why I can't do certain things or, and that hasn't been helpful. So it's more so understanding that people are also different and like, you may not understand certain things, but if you listen and and try to understand and are open-minded like that's obviously always a useful uh, skill to have yeah in any situation really (laughs) okay guys so moving on from that topic I wanted to discuss what we can do within our own lives to reduce stigma like in terms of let's say medication in terms of therapy in terms of even let's say substance abuse because that is a reality that happens what do you think that we can do in our just daily lives and how we treat other people to help reduce that stigma aside from having a conversation like this right yeah i think it's a tricky question um i guess the the approach that i've kind of taken and i don't know if it's the right one but i can only speak from like what i've ever tried but i stand by this where i am not ashamed of like any negative mental health experiences i've ever had and like i approach it that way to people like in this conversation this is a great conversation to have and i'm like so glad we're doing it but like in like a respectful way like 
I've actually like never met you guys, Anya kind of, <laughs> but, but I don't treat it as like some deep dark secret of mine that I only tell to like the absolute closest people in my life because, and, and I'm not saying that people can't do that. If that's what you need to do to feel safe or feel better, then that's absolutely the prerogative. Like it's your prerogative to do that. But the approach that I've taken is more like, it's just something that's happened in my life. Just like I graduated high school, I did my undergraduate degree, I've also struggled with mental health. Like I don't consider it a plus or a negative, I just consider it something that's happened to me and I have dealt with it. And when I treat it as like a deep dark secret, then it almost creates stigma for myself, which is like, obviously you don't wanna have stigma about your own life and your own self. But I find that it's helped other people kind of feel more comfortable to open up about it. And I think that when you treat it as more of a casual topic, that's, you can talk to someone about the weather. Like if someone feels comfortable, they should be able to talk to you about their mental health issues. Just yep. like if I broke my leg, you're not uncomfortable to talk about it, you know? Yeah. Like it should be the same view. Like that's how I view it the same it's way. It's like normalizing so, it through conversation really. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I try to take the same approach and I think yeah, of course it does depend on the person and like how comfortable like you said how comfortable you are and how safe you feel talking about these things. I am personally very comfortable being open about my experiences. It still makes me feel vulnerable to get into too much detail because you never know the kind of people out there that could use those things against you but Overall, I find that when I've been pretty open about my experiences with people, almost very blunt about it, like drop the very intense things because those are just things that I'm going through, then I find people tend to be more willing to share their experiences or maybe even maybe they'll see some of themselves in that and start to maybe realize that they're struggling with something as well. And it can make some people uncomfortable, but I feel like the number of people that are made to feel more comfortable being vulnerable around you when you are vulnerable around them is a greater number of people. And so I feel like that's, I feel like that's fairly helpful. Mm -hmm. It's basically just, like we said, normalizing the conversation. And I think it helps a lot of people feel less alone if you're being open about your own struggles as well. Anya, I would love to hear what you have to say on the subject, if you do have anything that you'd like to add. Yeah, I think I, I agree with everything that's been said. I think for me personally, like when I talk and have conversations with my friends, I like to make it a little bit more action oriented. So it's like, I'm sorry that like this is something that you've gone through. If you're ever feeling like this, is there anything I can do to help? Or how can I help you get through something if you're feeling this way? So that if it happens, like if they get like an anxiety attack or they have like a phase where they feel really depressed, it's like, okay, well, we've talked about this before and like now I can help. And it's just kind of like, if you get the flu, what can I do to help? Yeah. Let's get like your cough medication. Okay. Let's fluids. Okay. Sleep. You know, like it's, it's like you have a kind of like a protocol. Yeah. It's kind of making a protocol for this too. Mm-hmm. Not to make it like super quantitative and sterile and everything, no. but like knowing like what you can do as a friend. And like, yeah, and knowing some people are more, some people want to be left alone sometimes. Yeah. Some people need someone to be there. And everybody's different. So everybody needs something different. And like being able to have that conversation, it's just, and not making a big deal out of it. Yeah, right? for sure. And like not turning it into yourself, just being like, oh, that's something you're going through. I'm really sorry. That sucks. Mm -hmm. 
validation <laughs> really helped being there listening and not trying to project anything onto the other person i think is incredibly helpful because yeah, as marina was saying like people will try to kind of apply the same thing onto you and while it is good to help people feel that you can relate i think it's there's a time and a place yeah and it can be almost invalidating to other people if you kind of play it off like, oh yeah, I deal with that all the time. It's just like a thing that happens to me. You kind of acknowledge it as being easy to deal with because maybe you haven't experienced it to that same extent. But then again, I don't really hold resentment towards people that do do that because most of the time it's just coming up from a place of just not knowing, of not being aware and that's okay. Yeah. But what you can do afterwards is to further educate these people and then to again I keep saying this but to have conversations like this it's well-intentioned but it can be very harmful like during this exam season this last exam season I was really struggling and I was talking to a friend about how I was struggling you know I was just saying like you know it's it's been harder with like COVID and everything and like online learning on top of everything that we're going through don't don't you think so and they basically played it off as like no you shouldn't have any issues like why would you be struggling kind of thing and that made me very upset because I was then you know comparing myself to this person especially because it's a lot of us want to go to medical school so we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people of okay do I have as many extracurriculars as this person am I doing enough and then when somebody makes you feel like that what we're dealing with with school is actually pretty easy I start to doubt myself you know there's also yeah. just like comparing yourself with other people never helps but we're in that kind of environment I feel definitely I was wondering if you wanted to move on to the topic of academic accommodations because yep. it's a thing that not many people actually know about. I didn't know about it uh, until I like desperately needed them. But have any of you guys ever seeked academic accommodations or other services from Ryerson? And if so, what were the good things? What were the bad things that you experienced in that? We can start with Anya. Yeah, sure. So I'm not a Ryerson student, but for what I've seeked out was something called Good to Talk, which is a mental health service line that's for post-secondary students in Ontario and Nova Scotia. And I've called them before and it's really nice. Like you just like call, you tell them the university you go to and then they connect you with the counselor and it's free. And you can just kind of talk about what you're going through and they'll listen and that's just a really nice way to kind of like vent out everything you're thinking because sometimes you don't want to talk to your friends about things. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's about your friends. So you don't want them, <laughs> yeah, you can't true. have that conversation. You just want to like get it out. People have said like when you talk to strangers about things, you think through it more because you have to give the stranger like the backstory. So you have to think through like the entire process. And that was like, like, that's always been really helpful for me to like think through things out loud with somebody to kind of give me an idea of like what's normal, what's not, what's okay, what's not okay. And having because someone validate, that. Yeah. having someone validate what you're going through and like even just see you in a way, like someone sees yeah. your struggle and they acknowledge it and that in and of itself, having that kind of human connection with somebody can make you feel supported. Yeah. But I've never had like academic accommodation. 
but I like I know a lot of people who do and like it's really helpful they need it so they should have it like, everybody learns the same way everybody yeah like everybody's unique so people mm -hmm. have to be tested uniquely like yeah and you may only need it for a certain period of time or you may need exactly. it for different reasons again the common theme everybody is completely different everything different things are going to work for different people right Anna, do you have anything to add? Yeah, so I did seek out academic accommodation through Ryerson, but it's sometimes like you don't even realize how many resources are available to you. And the only reason I found out was I had sought out like professional help. And she was the one who mentioned to me that like, you know, most universities will offer academic accommodation. And they really did make the difference between like, for me, it was exams that really were a struggle for me during that period. And uh, having that like one less pressure on my back was so worth it to me. The academic accommodation through Ryerson is very helpful. It's non-judgmental. I never had an issue with them, but I did find that there was like a stigma with students in my program who mm -hmm. would come up to me like, oh my God, you didn't write the calculus exam? Like what happened? Like you didn't come? Like, did you forget it? Like, no, <laughs> I just wrote it separately. <laughs> I guess I would say to students listening to this, you know, I, I think that a lot of people say that maybe with good intention, but I also think that there's a time and a place to like ask someone if they came to the exam. And if you see them on campus, they maybe just wrote it separately because then you're forced to like explain basically yourself. have to, yeah. And you don't want to explain yourself. No, like, yeah, it's private. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You feel like you have to justify yourself almost. I personally sought out academic accommodations only this semester, and I have an anxiety disorder, so I probably could have sought them out a long time ago, but I almost put this pressure on myself that I wasn't bad enough to need them, and then I was really struggling this semester, and I was sort of talking to the people around me, and I saw that they weren't struggling nearly as much as I was, so I thought, okay, maybe I was almost at a point where I was like, okay, if I don't get help, I'm not going to finish this semester it's just not going to happen and then I'm so I'm really glad I did seek out those accommodations professors were very understanding and the system works very well with regards to maintaining your privacy but again there was that stigma with students I mean in in my program like in biomed a lot of people want to go to medical school so they love to compare themselves to each other to ask you have you started that lab report or how much have you studied for this exam yet or they are very nosy and it it was very frustrating because I would be asked questions about if I got an extension on something people were asking me like how I did on a certain lab report but mine wasn't returned by that point because I'd handed it in a few days later then I had to get into that awkward conversation or not awkward but I just more so didn't want to have that conversation because then people made comments that were insensitive oh I wish I had academic accommodations or like lucky you or like it must be so easy for you just very insensitive comments yeah. that are like you really don't understand the struggle and it made me feel like I was cheating you were weak like I was Maybe. weak like I like not cheating but like I was almost getting the easy way out but I really wasn't because I was really struggling so I just think we need to be more sensitive to each other in general with comparing ourselves. And I don't know why people want to know your marks. <laughs> I understand you're trying to sort of see how you're doing and stuff, but you can see a median for the, I would just say, stop asking people about their marks, how much they've studied. Like there's no need to transfer our anxieties onto each other. We're all stressed about it. We all know when the exam is. If you didn't see me there, there was probably a good reason. So like, <laughs> 
there's no need to just get into people's business so much. I get what you're saying, Marina. I have two things I kind of want to say. The first being that I really resonate with what you're saying about feeling kind of weak for seeking help because being honest, I actually, I started the process for academic accommodations, but then I stopped (laughs) because I was like, oh, I'm not bad enough. I don't deserve it. There's people that have it worse than me. I'm just being a little baby. I'm being weak. I need to just pull on my big girl pants and do it. And I did do it, but like it was so much more difficult than I ever really needed to make it for myself. And I know that my grades suffered because of it. And that was just so unnecessary to put myself through. So I think there's a lot of value in being able to admit when you like truly do need to seek that help and accept that help. I think there's a lot of difficulty in that. That's like internalized stigma because that's an entire stigma about mental health that it makes you weak, that you're not strong enough, you're not trying hard enough, that it's a matter of willpower. And Mm -hmm. these are like stigmas that we've been socialized with our entire lives that we've sort of self-stigmatized ourselves. And that's a massive struggle for people going through mental health issues. Yeah, exactly. The second thing was about like asking people for their grades and Uh, that whole conversation that you were having. I think it is good to push each other because like I actually kind of have like a little bit of a differing opinion on that. I have uh, one of my good friends at Ryerson, we would always like very much push each other to get our work done, to have these things done, but it was more in like less of a anxiety inducing way and more of like we were just trying to motivate each other and along the way we would check up on each other and always make sure that we were both doing okay mentally so I don't think it's like a matter of just like not being able to ask like oh have you started this yet but it's like a matter of just being sensitive about it and knowing oh have you started this yet oh no like it's making me kind of anxious oh like do you need help with it like that kind of thing I think Yeah, my closer friends know that I don't like to sort of share my marks. So they know that how it goes for me is if they ask me how I did, I tell them whether I was happy with my mark or not. And that's kind of the conversation we have instead. So just being, I don't know, sensitive to like how that stuff might make your friend feel and having that conversation of, you know, what can I do to help you out and what makes you more comfortable in this situation? Which way should we talk about this kind of thing? It's funny, actually, because... um when I was in first year, I would check my marks constantly. And then I was talking to my friend at one point and he was like, I don't check anymore because they'd email me. Like if I fail, they'll email me. So what's the point in me checking? I'll just love that. Email. So I don't look at my marks anymore. And it feels great. Like, cause for me, me looking at my mark and getting a bad mark is more stressful than me not knowing. So I just stopped looking. So when people ask, I'll be like, oh, I haven't looked. And then they go, oh, okay. And they don't ask you anymore because you have no idea. So it just like- So like something all different works for everybody, right? So like- yeah. love that. <laughs> it's an option. It's very much an option. You don't have to look. I avoid at looking at my marks for a very long time. People will check them immediately. I'll wait like a week or two. <laughs> That's hilarious to me. I, I could never do that. I would get so nervous about like what it is. And I, it's like a compulsion. I need to check it or else like, I don't know but what like I'm going to do. But like at the end of the day, it's... I know it's pass, not, but that's like... What's going to happen? Like, it's something I have to work on, okay? Don't at me, but... No, yeah, 100%. And I used to be the exact same way. But like, my math mark has been out for like five days and I haven't looked yet. For like... Honestly, good for you. 70% of the course. 
honestly good for you because a lot of the time the mark you get also doesn't reflect like how you felt walking out exactly. of that exam or that test usually doesn't oh, align <laughs> especially with covid especially with online testing i find that i have no more i have no idea on how i do on tests anymore That's somehow so with online testing i've like lost my entire base on like how well i feel i've done a lot of other it things is, feeling fantastic and then do awful. It is very weird. I found giving a presentation online way scarier than in person. Yeah, I didn't like it because they couldn't see my face and yep, I, couldn't I couldn't gesture with my hands either. I couldn't read the room. There was no body language, so it was very stressful. Oh, one last thing. Uh, we're coming close to the end of the podcast, right? So one last little thing I wanted to ask was if there's any advice that you'd like to give in terms of let's say like little rituals that you do to make yourself feel better. Like let's say breathing techniques or what I do is I'll do a headstand to like get my blood flowing and like make myself a little bit more active. Uh, I'll start talking to my dog about whatever I'm stressed about. I'll water my plants, things like that. I like that. (laughs) Are there any uh, little self-care rituals or things that you do to just make your mental well-being a bit better? This wasn't, this isn't exactly like a quick little thing, I guess, but I've really found that this is more sort of started with COVID, but at the height of like all of our quarantine and like super high number of cases, kids' help phone was getting like a huge surge of uh, calls and like not enough people, not just calls, but texts and everything. Um, And so there was sort of like this advertisement for people to volunteer with them. And I've actually found that like being a volunteer for them, I don't know, there's something about helping someone else like even if you feel like you can't really help yourself but having like this you volunteer like on a weekly basis or bi-weekly basis having that knowing that like maybe today's not the day to like help you <laughs> but you know being able to help other people like get through whatever it is they're dealing with it's a rewarding experience that I wouldn't say is like a short-term thing it's a much more like long-term beneficial thing for you but I find like if you're in the position to do so like helping someone else in any way shape or form has like been really therapeutic for me personally oh yeah definitely i feel that a lot because i'm literally (laughs) trying to like dedicate my life to helping other people that's the basis of why i want to pursue the career i want to and i think it's just a fulfilling thing in general and it just like brings a lot of nice warmth and good feelings it's also always that thing where it's like i can give really great advice i can't follow it though (laughs) (laughs) Anya, do you have anything to say on that? Helping other people is fantastic. I highly recommend it. Something that I've been doing for a couple years now is like I go on walks every night and I like listen to my favorite music and I'll just go on a walk and like just think about the day and like what I want to do the next day because I'll do it at like 9 p.m. (laughs) And that I found is super helpful. Just like that alone time to kind of like examine my inner thoughts and everything. And also just like, just to get up, just to like walk outside. Cause normally I'll like use it as like my study break. I also really like writing. I'm really bad at doing it, but like, just like writing out, if something happened that day, mm. like just write everything you remember about it. Yep. And then it kind of like gets it out of your head, right? Really like cool. something it's catharsis. You about. It is yeah. 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 Just like writing everything you can think about an event that happened that maybe like you can't stop thinking about. Mm-hmm. Like, put it on paper, and then you put it away, and then you go to bed. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, that sounds good. I do the same. I go on walks with my dog. I write out little things, like logs of whatever I did that day. 
Marina, I know you mentioned that you do yoga and like breathing techniques. Do you want to yeah, talk about that? Yeah, it took me a while to get into it because I have anxiety. So I have like thoughts rushing through my head every second of the day. I can't, it's really hard for me to slow down. And I tried meditation for a bit and it was very hard to focus. But with yoga, I found that having the physical component of like getting in touch with your body and certain sensations you feel in your body is very meditative for me. So that's helped. And like, there's actually a great um, YouTube, you can do it for free, like online. There's this um, YouTube channel, it's Yoga with Adrian. And I know, I'm following her calendar right now. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's really good. And you can start off like slow and it's not about yoga is very cool because it's not about perfection in any way. It's just about doing your best, working on your breathing and like getting in touch with your body. And I find that very helpful, especially because when you have anxiety, for example, you're really caught in your head and you're very out of the moment. You're stuck thinking about the future, the past, and it gets you really kind of grounded in the breathing. So that's very helpful. I also... It's probably, it's probably not a good thing that I drink coffee because I have anxiety, but I can't stop. And my favorite thing <laughs> is when I wake up in the morning, I have my coffee and I sit and listen to music and just have my thoughts. And it's just like a wonderful way to start the day. It's just peaceful. I don't talk to anybody. I just probably sit for like half an hour, 40 minutes before I start my day. Um, it's easier now because I don't have to get up for like class or anything, but those are kind of two things that really help me. Also, if I'm stressed and I'm having a lot of stressful thoughts before bed, I kind of just write everything I'm stressed about on a piece of paper. And then I tell myself that I can think about it tomorrow. And then when tomorrow comes, I usually look at the list and I'm like, oh, I don't really need to think about that anymore. So that also helps. I see kind of a theme of just being present and taking things as they come, because obviously when you're dealing with, let's say, anxious thoughts or thoughts of sadness, it's usually you ruminating on something that's either in the past or in the future. Mm -hmm. That's not you presently. Mm -hmm. And I think it's great to, through yoga, through meditation, through any means that you can find, be more present because then you're able to actually live your life as opposed to being stuck in your head constantly. Mm -hmm. Because I would have these things that I would just like, sit and then 20 minutes would go by and I would not have realized because I was just thinking the whole time yep. instead of doing what I needed to do and uh, I think it's great to I also do think those kind of things because then you actually end up living your life while it's happening yeah yeah I, I also think everyone can benefit from talking to somebody no matter what <laughs> you're going through because we all have thinking patterns that don't serve us well and it is very inaccessible and unaffordable. And we'll probably talk about that in a future episode about the issues with the mental health care system. But um, through Ryerson, there is counseling and the counselors are really good. I'm not sure right now if they're taking on patients. They weren't at the beginning of the COVID situation, but um, there's also resources like online counseling and stuff that Anya was talking about. And that's very helpful. And also if you're in a bad place like going to your GP and getting a referral to a psychiatrist can be very helpful because sometimes you need medication to get to the place to be able to do the things you need to do to feel better so yeah those are also not small things but those are massive things that help me as well I think we can end it off here also wanted to mention that 
in the description, we're going to be putting some resources and links uh, that you can access if you're a Ryerson student and even if you are not. And uh, Anya, would you like to add anything before we say goodbye? Um, I think we did a good job kind of covering our bases there. So I would probably say, no, I think we're great. It was great. I had a really great time talking to all of you. Yeah, th thank you so much for having this conversation with us guys, because this is exactly what what's helping break the stigma is just like putting people in a position to have these conversations and making sure that people know that this is something that is important to our community, especially now going through this time. It's especially challenging. So thank you so much, everybody. Uh, hope to speak to you sometime soon. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.